Welcome to the Global Math Department. My name is Rana Arshad Hafiz and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight we are going to hear from Alexander Overwick on a thinking classroom, reflections after eight years of implementation. Would everyone please introduce themselves in the chat window, telling us what you teach, where, and what your Twitter handle is if you have one. Before I introduce our speaker, I'd like to explain how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available within 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same link you used to get here tonight. The Global Math Department prides itself in a community of friendly and supportive practitioners. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll be sure to catch your questions for the presenter to be addressed at the end of the presentation. Our speaker tonight is Alexander Overwick, and I'm going to give it over to Alexander to introduce himself to tell us what he does. Hi, everybody. Welcome uh, to the Global Math Department. This is actually my second time uh, speaking on the Global Math Department, but you would have never have caught my first one because it was a disaster. Uh, we had lots of trouble with audio and um, it actually never got published. So I'm great. I'm super happy to be trying this again. Um, of course, it's a completely different topic because that was about five years ago, but um, we'll, um, we'll give it a go. And, and, and um, thank you so much for coming. And uh, hopefully um, we get a chance to reflect on building thinking classrooms and on um, uh, what maybe our next steps are. So uh, my name is Alex Overwick or Al Overwick. Uh, this is my 32nd year of teaching mathematics. Uh, I teach high school math, all grades. Um, I live in the heart of uh, Ottawa, which is in Canada, Ontario, Canada. And um, this is my third school and my last school. Uh, it's called Glebe Collegiate. I'm actually there right now uh, because I didn't want technical problems. Um, and our school actually opened in 1922, which is, um, so we're actually celebrating our hundredth year this year, um, which is a pretty big uh, milestone for our school and our community. Uh, I actually live in this community as well. Um, and uh, I'm going to brag a little bit about our school for a second. Uh, they just they just came home from the weekend. Our Reach for the Top uh, team, Reach for the Top, uh, was an old TV show in Canada. We're a trivia show, and uh, they continued that um, the trivia contest. And our our school defended their national championship uh, this past weekend. So they have won the Canadian championships two years in a row, uh, which is a, a pretty uh, pretty quite the feat. Um, I personally like to contribute to my school through coaching. I actually coach uh, the basketball teams here. It's my sport of choice. Um, I'm lucky enough that I can still play a little bit about myself, uh, play a little bit of basketball myself. Uh, I live here with two uh, teenage boys and um, my partner. Um, and what um, my other passion that I have is mathematics and the teaching of it. Um, and so I thought I'd tell you a little bit about my story because I think we all have a story and I think it's uh, important to, um, you know, that old story, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, I was an old dog and I learned new tricks. So um, I think this that everybody can do this. And um, 
I think I'll just tell you a little bit about my story. So I was a super traditional teacher for like 17 or 18 years. The old I do, we do, you do. Uh, and I did this for a long time. And it was probably in the late 2000s where a couple of events happened that, uh, that changed my, my teaching life forever. Um, uh, I had just resigned my position of uh, being the department chair of mathematics here at Glebe and um, for various reasons. Um, and we had a new gentleman come in to become the head. His name was Bruce McLaurin. And Bruce came in for a year and observed what was going on. And after, at the end of the year, he said to me, he said, you know, Al, I really need you to teach the grade 10 applied course at our school. And I'll just comment uh, in Ontario. Um, we stream kids once they get to high school. So they, it's either essentials applied or academic. Uh, so the applied stream uh, is typically full of children who are students who uh have had a bad experience in math, struggled, uh, have low self-esteem in math, or just, you know, really kids that maybe don't like it. Um, and I will comment before I move on from that point is that we are, Ontario is actually in the middle of de-streaming mathematics. So we just spent our uh, first year de-streaming grade nine math. So all grade nine students coming into school, all taking the same course. Um, and that is moving to grade 10 next year. Uh, so that's a really big move uh, by our province and our government. Um, and so we're right in the middle of, of de-streaming, which is, um, you know, we're going to see how that plays, plays out in the next, you know, five, five years, 10 years, however long it's going to take us. And then I, my guess is that we will start streaming in grade 11. So it gives kids a couple more years to, to maybe tie into, um, to doing mathematics. Uh that being said, at the time, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, when I, when I um, was asked to teach the, these, this applied class, um, I agreed. Um, you know, Bruce, had, Bruce talked me into it. He basically said that, you know, I was a huge personality in the school and he felt that those students needed me. And um, so I agreed to do it. I, I did it for a year and a half. I tried everything I could possibly think of. Uh, I was frustrated. I felt like I was failing. Um, I had 25% failure rate, felt like I was letting the students down. So I did that for a full year and a half or semestered. So, you know, we teach a group of students for half the year and then we get new students for the second half and halfway through the year, I, I met with Bruce. I said, Bruce, you know, I'm a little bit older than most people. It's my 20th year of teaching. It would be really great if someone else took a turn teaching these students. I'm, I'm struggling with it. And, and at that moment, you know, Bruce, I called him the gentle giant. He was standing there rubbing his hands, listening to me vent. And I think the next words out of his mouth uh, changed me deeply because what he basically said was, well, this is what he said. He said, Al, maybe it's you that needs to change. And I was like, uh, pardon? <laughs> I need to change? Um, so we sat and chatted for quite some time. Uh, the next semester, we had this great opportunity where we had the same that same course twice in a row and we both had our prep period opposite. So we basically co-taught two sections of that and uh, we decided that we would do something very different. And we, um, we decided because I had been so unsuccessful with what I had been trying that we were gonna not worry so much about the curriculum and just focus on getting kids to do math every single day. Like we, we brainstormed what, so we, we basically decided that we were gonna teach through activities and tasks. 
So you name it. Uh, we came up with spaghetti bridges. Uh, I had remembered Barbie Bungie from Mary Barassa. She had showed me that um, when I was at my previous school. We did that. We'd solve systems with candies. We did marble paint pass. We did a card tossing activity. Uh, you name it. Uh, anything that was hands-on that we thought we could suck some math out of, we went ahead and did it. Um, and of course, this was all taking place um, at the same time that Dan Meyer's video went viral. And, the, and it was the emergence of, of uh, three-act math tasks. So that was um, really the timing was perfect for us to be trying something different. Uh, and I can remember at the end of that first semester, after teaching the kids the content of the course through activity teaching, uh, hands-on stuff, rich tasks, I can remember asking them, like, I'm sure we've all been there, like, it's time for your final exam and you're about to start your review for the end of the course. And you start asking kids, okay, so what did we do at the start of the course? And kids are like, uh, I don't remember what we did at the start of the course. And I can remember after, after doing um, teaching through tasks and talking to the kids about what the big ideas in the course, like they were able to name the nine big ideas in the course at the end of the course. And I can remember my draw uh, dropping and I was like, oh, this actually works. The kids actually are retaining and remembering what it is that we're doing in class. Uh, so for four or five years, we explored what we called spiraling the curriculum, um, which was basically abolishing units um, and teaching um, uh, teaching through tasks. So I'm just going to show my this first slide. Uh, maybe one second here. No, I got to toggle between the two. So I'll just show this first slide. Um, and so this, this is a representation of what the, that change was like. So, uh, at the top, you can see seven colors, start of the course to the end of the course. There are seven different units. Uh, so you can imagine doing that. I'm sure some of us, uh, still teach this way or still teach in units. So you teach everything from easy to hard over the course of three weeks, maybe, uh, review, have a test, move on to the next unit. So. Um, I think it's like the, the seven units are similar triangles is the red, trino trigonometry and Pythagorean's theorem is the orange, then linear relations, then linear systems, then quadratic relations, problem solving with quadratics and surface area and volume. So that's across the top, very traditional way to teach. And then if, along the bottom, you can see there's, um, those are labeled as activities. So the first column is activity number one, and you can see that we touch on six uh, big ideas in the course, they're color coded in that first activity. And we basically teach the course through activities. And then when you see the blue tab, um, the blue tab there, that's our first assessment. And so basically the first assessment is almost covering the entire course. And so our kids are basically writing four or five exams over the course. And, you know, the long story short, uh, we started doing this and we called it spiraling. We were like, okay, we're going to teach the whole course, introduce all the ideas in the course and go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper as we went through it. And um, it worked really well. Um, and so um, this was before I even met Peter or even knew about um, uh building thinking classrooms. So this was really like, we were already trying to teach through tasks. 
And what I what I have here is I have a video that we made of at the time that I'm going to uh, let you let you watch. And I'll just comment. This is on cup stacking. So we got this idea from from Dan Meyer. Um, um, and um, at this particular t moment in time, we had been doing lesson study in our school. So we had a cross curricular group of teachers, four or five teachers with our principal. We met for half a day uh, every week, um, design a lesson one week, and then one of the teachers would teach it in their class the next week. And then the following week, we would design a second lesson. So uh, we would always um, uh, do the lesson with the class. And then the next period, we, we would debrief about what we saw. Um, and so, so this will give you an idea of like what that looked like. Whoops, I stopped sharing my screen one second. This will give you an idea of what that looked like at that time and what the activity-based teaching um, was like. One second here. And so let me play this for you. It's a little long, but you'll get the idea. Here, I want you to 
you to read them and I want you to give me a detailed, uh, detailed answer. I want your thoughts, not someone else's. So, uh, you know, you can see in that, like that we're the idea of using rich tasks and using good tasks was already there with us. Um, but you know, this is, this is, uh, kids working in groups. We had, we did, of course we did ability grouping back then, uh, didn't know any better. Um, and you know, they would work on chart paper sitting at desks. And so, uh, you know, then in May of 2004, uh, we were presenting about this, we were presenting about spiraling and we heard a master's student speak at the conference we were at, and he was he was speaking about student behaviors in a classroom. He was speaking about slacking and faking and mimicking and stalling. Uh, and he also talked about homework and the case of what happens with homework. And um, uh, he was a master's student of Dr. Lillehals. And so the keynote at the same conference was, was Peter. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe this is the first time he spoke about it publicly. I think it was in May of 2014 about his research. And at the time, he really just spoke about the first big three things, which was, uh, you know, use good tasks, which I was like, oh, OK, we're already on this path. Um, and then visibly random groups and vertical non-permanent surfaces. And so um, I was like, OK, this is the missing piece for us, right? Like this is the thing that's going to take what we're doing and make it even better. This idea of marrying sp spiraling with um, a thinking classroom. So, so of course I jumped in within a week, I had my room uh, set up as best I could um, and away I went. So th this just gives you, I'll just show you a video. Uh, it's just a really quick one, this one of kind of what uh, my class looks like on a regular day, just so you can get a feel for 
um, what my classroom looks like now. And so lots of activity. And so that gives you a feel um, of what a thinking classroom uh, uh, can look like. So, um, you know, we we really were trying to, you know, as Peter spoke about, bust down uh, the norms of our classroom. So, you know, you can kind of get a feel for what I value in your in my in your in my classroom. What I'd like you to what I'd like to take a moment to do, and maybe we can take about you know, whatever, however long it takes here. It shouldn't take too long. Um, but I can put the, this Jamboard in uh, the in the chat and you can um, um, put stuff on the Jamboard or feel free just to go ahead and put it um, uh, in the chat. Uh, I don't think we're that many people, so I think we might be okay doing that. Uh, but it's your choice. You can, if you want to put it in the... Um, second here if you want to put it in the chat you can do that as well so there's a jam board you're welcome to uh put stuff in there or you're welcome to um uh just put your like some of the things that you think that you value in your classroom like what is it that you value stepping out of your comfort zone engagement camaraderie there were a few more there earlier. Student engagement, taking risks. Student discussions about what they are learning. Student intellectual engagement, demonstrating their thinking, critical thinking and problem solving. Right. So those, so, so, right. So those are the things that we do value as math teachers. Like, um, you know, very, very, um, when I ask this question to teachers, very infrequently do I hear, um, I value that they can factor a quadratic or I value that they can solve linear equations. The things that we value are communicating, our collaboration, our uh, thinking, our perseverance, our student sense-making, like all the things that we're listing here are the things that we value. And so, how do we get our classrooms to be like that, right? And so I, I do I do feel strongly about Peter's work and I feel strongly that what's, one of the things you need to do is break down the classroom norms uh, in your classroom. And so, oh, here we go. So, you know, you probably uh, see, see this stuff in the book. If you've read the book, if not, um, you know, just quickly the 14 things that the classroom practices that Peter tried to disrupt types of tasks we use, how we form groups, where the students work, how we arrange the furniture, how we answer questions, when, where, and how we the tasks are given, what homework looks like, how we foster student autonomy, how we use hints and extensions, how we consolidate, how we give notes, what we choose to evaluate, how we use formative assessment, and how we grade. These, these are what he came up with, optimal practices for thinking, right? These were his these are, these are the 14 big ideas of the book, right? Use thinking tasks, form frequent, visibly random groups, use vertical non-permanent surfaces, defront your room, answer only, keep thinking questions, give tasks early, standing and verbally, check your understanding questions, be intentionally less helpful, 
create and manage flow, consolidate from the bottom, use meaningful notes, evaluate what you value, communicate to students where they are and what they are, where they are going and report out based on data. And so, you know, um, having done this for eight years and I've been all in the entire eight years, um, I thought that I might offer some reflections um, and then maybe you could give me some of your reflections based on your experience um, implementing building thinking classrooms. And so, you know, I thought about this and I was like, okay, what are like 10 or 12 points that, you know, after doing it for this long that you would say to people, a group of teachers um, based on my experiences. And, and I will, I will admit I've been all in. So, um, and I've been doing it a fairly long time. And there are, there are things on this list that I don't do very much. There are things on this list of 14 things that are not part of my thinking classroom um, because they're not. They're, 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 I have to do what works for me. And um, I think you, you need to like, you know, I'm going to give you my reflections. They very well might not be in line with what you want to do, um, but this has really worked for me. So, so let me get started. Um, more vertical non-permanent surface is better. The more white space you can generate, the better. So like there's this, that is my classroom. I'm sitting in it right now. I have, I have 10 four by eight sheets of, um, whiteboard. Uh, so in, at the end of 2014, I had about a month left. I just butchered some whiteboard and had it standing up on desks and stuff against the walls. Then that summer at the, the last week before school started, I did this all myself. I went out and bought uh, 10, uh, four by eight sheets of, um, uh, shower board and, uh, covered up all my blackboards, um, took all the bulletin boards down. I put two in the windows, as you can see there. So those are temporary. They just get locked in there. Um, and I did this, I actually had my son helping me. <laughs> he was about eight or nine at the time, had him holding a piece of wood. And it, uh, I said, just hold that for a second. I had to go run and grab a screw. And of course he couldn't hold it and it flipped and hit him in the nose and broke his nose. <laughs> but, uh, we, <laughs> we managed to get them up and, uh, best thing I ever did. I also built these ones. Uh, so these, hold nine people as well. They're portable. They fit in the elevator. They go through a door. So I, I, I did this for other people in my school so that they could use it. Like here we see uh, some students working on it um, out in the hallway. Um, okay. So that, so that's that as much white space as you can get. Uh, and again, uh, even if it's writing on the desks, even if it's writing on the windows, whatever it takes. Um, the other thing I would say is visible random groups each and every day and be relentless about it. Like, you know, especially early in the course, kids will say to you, uh, oh, can I not just work with so-and-so? It's like, no, that's not what we do in this class. Like, I am relentless about this. I, I, I do it by shuffling cards. And I'll be honest with you, I give the first three or four minutes, I let them go. They'll go sit in their pot of three and they'll typically sit with their friends. They get their card within the first five minutes. I kind of get a chance to go around and talk to everybody. And um, then they pick up their stuff and they take all their books and stuff to their, the set of desks that's assigned with that whiteboard. And so um, they end up sitting with three new people. Well, they're not sitting, but, but they end up uh, parking with three other people, two other people that they, that aren't necessarily their friends. Um, um, and like, I can't, I will say like of all the things that, Peter suggests, I think visibly random groupings is one of the most powerful, like 
I survey my kids at the end of the course. And one of the things that I get very frequently is like, oh, I absolutely love the visible random groupings because this is the only class where I know every kid's name, right? I know, I know everybody in my class. Um, so, you know, I think there's something to be said for that, for us um, uh, getting kids to look each other in the face and say each other's names. Um, I, I think that's a really important thing. And um, um, yeah, I think this is one of the, one of the most important um, aspects of his, uh, of his model. Uh, get students up and standing early and before instructions and during consolidation. So like for me, uh, this is really, this is, this one, this one, this one surprised me that how impactful this is. Like if I give them their cards, let them sit with their friends, explain the task, then get them up and moving and then go to the whiteboard the first words out of their mouth is like, what are we doing? What did you want us to do? Whereas if I get them in their groups, give them their markers, get them standing up at the whiteboard, and then maybe they come and huddle uh, near me, or uh, I say, okay, come on over and look over here. I want to show you something and explain the task like that. They're on task right away. So I think there's something to be said for getting students standing up uh, early in the class and before you say any instructions. So I, I, I use what I call huddling all the time. Like, okay, come on over here and huddle around me and I'm going to explain something to you and then you're going to go and try this task. Uh, I give no time for mindful notes in class. So that's a little bit different than, um, you know, some people do, do packets and have it all set up for students. I tell the kids, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to do mathematics for 75 minutes in my class. I, I'm hoping that you will... Um, uh, leave and go and do, uh, that's your homework. I want you to go and summarize what we did in class, summarize what you learned today. I'm sorry. I didn't have the chat on there cause I was, uh, so, but I'm sure there would be some questions. Um, yeah. So, so mindful notes was completely is in my, in my courses is done at home. Like that's what I'm asking them to do. And do, do, do all the kids uh, make mindful notes? No. Some of them just take pictures on their phone and, you know, you they're, they're searching through their phones trying to study. Other kids, uh, you know, at the end of the course will show me their notes and it's like they're immaculate, right? They've gone and summarized everything we've done and every single day. So, you know, that brings up a point. Like each student is their own person, right? They 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 have their own way of learning and their own way of, of documenting stuff. So I'm not, I'm not, fixated on like, oh, you have to do it this way or you have to do this. Um, so that's, you know, that's a little bit different than what Peter's suggesting. Cultivate autonomous behavior. So like, this happens to me a lot, right? Uh, where you'll get a group stuck and the first thing out of their words would be like, uh, sir, sir, come over here, come over here. Uh, we don't know what to do. And, um, you know, how do you handle that? Like, do you jump in and show them what to do? Or do you like... I'm, I'm really, really not very helpful early in my course. Like, okay, we don't know what to do. So like my first question is like, well, what could you have done to try to figure out what you could do or what you're supposed to do? You know, like I asked them a question, like, how could you have done this without me? How could you have got going without me? Um, and so kids would be like, well, we could ask the group beside us. I'm like, okay, ask the group beside you. They're like, that's okay. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. Um, 
You could have looked around. Uh, so, so like, I, I really think uh, getting group because it's impossible. It is impossible to build a thinking classroom and have kids continue to work for the entire 75 minutes if they're not autonomous. Like if there's something that's really important in this model, it's teaching them how to learn and teaching them how to learn without you. And so I'm a big believer in like teaching a taught, like actually explicitly teaching it, like saying the types of things that you could do, right? Um, get help from a partner, uh, get a hint from someone else, uh, go join another group, um, break it down into an easier task. Uh, lots of different things that you can do um, that, or sorry, that they can do that allows them to continue to work without you having to intervene and be helpful. Um, so, so that's a big one. And I, I'll, I do this intentionally. I'll, I'll design a activity at about week three or week four that I know is only going to take about half the class. And I will stand in the corner with a group and I'll let them know what I'm up to. And I'll spend a lot of time with them. And I'll let groups finish and they'll sit down at their desks and they'll pull their phones out. And I'll, I'll, I'll say to the group, you guys just let me know when we're at the point where like there's only one or two other groups still standing. And then I'll turn around and go, what's going on? What are you doing? Why are you guys all sitting out? They're like, we're done. I'm like, you're never done. Like there's always something else to do. What do you mean? You haven't given us any more questions. I'm like, okay, well make your own question, design a question. Uh, the group beside you has a different answer. Figure out who's right and who's wrong. Uh, like that's, you know what that's called? That's called autonomous behavior. So like I actually will set them up to, to, um, to have to uh, learn how to do that. Evaluate what you value. I learned this quickly. Um, when I first started um, uh, doing building thinking classrooms, I had the kids up working every single day. And then I tested them like I always tested them. Sit down, individual tests. And I heard about it, right? Uh, um, kids are smart, right? Uh, what do I have to do to get a good mark on, in this course? So this guy's telling me, collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. But yet he's giving me this individual test. And that's all he's giving me. That's how he's assessing me. He's kind of a fraud, right? Like he's just, he's just, saying that this is important, but that's not what he cares about. And so I had, I had a revolt uh, my first year of implementing building thinking classrooms because I was still doing individual tests with my, with my classes. And uh, I quickly learned that you need to, if, if what you value is uh, collaboration and communication and connections and uh, critical thinking, then you need to find a way to evaluate that. Um, and so so that's uh, that's an important thing to do. Uh, students showing their thinking versus teacher knowing how to do the math. So be less helpful, right? Like I think uh, that 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 helps with the autonomous behavior as well. Um, value the mathematical processes. So like for me, uh, you know, in Ontario where we are, the, our mathematical processes in our curriculum documents is representing, problem solving, reasoning, improving, connecting, selecting tools communicating and reflecting. And, uh, you know, I like to think of it, I like to think of it um, as the, the content or the curriculum is the, um, is the vehicle for you to see the mathematical processes. So like you're trying to use your curriculum 
to get at the processes. And what do I want to see? What do I value in my classroom is those mathematical processes. So like, how do I get, how do I design tasks and activities so that I'm going to see the mathematical processes? And then how is that going to be what I value? Um, celebrate perseverance. I love doing this, right? Like, you know, coming by a group that's still slugging it out um, on something that's like, they're not getting as far as another group, but yet they're sticking with it. Like I love getting over there and, you know, spending some time with them, celebrating what they've done and like trying to move them a little bit forward in their thinking for the day. Um, you know, during the consolidation phase, evaluate, uh, value the different ideas in the course, spend lots of time, um, looking at what different groups are doing. So, you know, I call that like narrating a story, right? Like I have, I have maybe three groups work that I want to go and highlight, you know, so I put different colored uh, marker on the board and I'll bring everybody over to that board. And during the consolidation phase, um, take some time to um, look at the different and celebrate the different ideas that have come out in the, um, during the task. Uh, puzzle the curriculum. So, so like, you know, think about how can you, how can you, the content that you want to get through, how can you turn that into a puzzle? How can you turn that into, um, um, uh, um, something that interests them, right? Like, how can we do that? How can we make curriculum a puzzle? How can we how can we uncover curriculum instead of cover curriculum? And it's okay if it's messy, right? Uh, Sheila, how often do you change the groupings of students? I do it every day. Every day, it's they work with three new students. Um, well, I give examples. Of, so, Mark, that's a really good question. Uh, I can I. Honestly, my blog's not a bad place to go and see some. I'm not great at writing on my blog, but it's not a bad place to go and see um, uh, some of my tasks. And I'll make sure I put that in the a link to my blog uh, in the chat before I walk away. Uh, good resource for good tasks. Yeah. Like, so, you know, I've been lucky because I've done lesson study and I've designed some of these tasks with groups of teachers. Um but Twitter's a good place. Uh, lots of teachers' blogs. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a common question. Like, where do you get your tasks from? Like, so uh, here, let me show you. I, I think I have a couple slides here of of what I did today. So this was today. Let me just the messy part. So so here, this is this is a kid's whiteboard from today. So I just threw this in because I I, I talked about let it be messy and I wanted to kind of. Uh, share this with you. But so there's a, and this is actually the last post in my blog. If, if um, once I show it to you, I actually wrote about this. So there's a sequence of fractions in the, in the middle of the board, right? One and uh, I'm going to have to, I can't see that, but I think it's one and one third, one and two fifths, th two and two fifths, three and three sevenths, turn those into improper fractions. So that's, so at first I just give them the first three. I say, okay, extend the sequence for four more. Uh, then I say, okay, write them as improper fractions. Okay, take those two lengths and make them the two smallest lengths in a right triangle and figure out the hypotenuse. So you can see the work underneath the fractions there and they do that. And then I say, okay, let's, can you make a table? So, so, and so triangle number one to seven, 
what's the small length side, what's the middle length side, what's the hypotenuse side lengths, and show me the patterns in the table. So they go ahead and do that. I'm like, okay, can you come up with the equations of each column? So the first one's linear, the second one's quadratic, the third one's quadratic. Um, okay, what's the relationship between these sides? Oh, they satisfy Pythagorean's theorem. So, so then we look at this, right? So if, if those are the three formulas, and you can kind of see them in the bottom right corner there, um, if those are the three formulas, then they satisfy Pythagorean's theorem. So we can do some algebra now, right? So here's uh, one of them was 2n plus 1, 2n squared plus 2n, and the other one's 2n squared plus 2n plus 1. So we'll do length times width, uh, and we should be able to get the sum of the two smaller squares adding up to give us the, the area of the bigger square. And so, uh, you know, this task, uh, so we get to that. Then I ask them, uh, uh, what are the angles in the triangle? So get, let's go with the, um, I think it's the middle angle. And so the kids came up with the middle angle and you can see that down the left-hand side where they're finding out what the angles are. And then I had them plot uh, triangle number versus the angle. And they looked at it and they were like, okay, I have no idea what this graph is, but uh, cause it kind of looks like you can't, we can't model it. We, there's nothing that models it nicely. But it looks like it might be ex exponential. Uh, the way we did it today, it was actually um, that angle, that middle angle, the largest it could get to was 90. So we actually got to talking about like a horizontal asymptote. Like it's going to be like, it's going to get really close to 90, but it's not going to quite get to 90. So like these types of tasks that, and I call this one like across the grain because it's like, look at all the stuff it touches on, right? We're doing fractions. We're doing Pythagorean's theorem. We're doing linear relations. We're doing quadratic relations. We're doing some algebra and we're doing some trigonometry and we're doing some graphing. So um, pretty big task. Um, yeah. And, and so people are saying, thank you, Heather, for putting in my blog. And people are saying, um, you know, the task in building thinking classroom are excellent. And there are lots of really good ones right in the book. Um, so let me just go here really quickly, work on the art of managing flow. Like I can't, I can't overemphasize this. Uh, I feel like building student autonomy and the art of managing flow are the two biggest ideas, uh, that changed, uh, my classroom from being teacher centered to student centered. Right. Um, where like, and, and eventually students will start um, self self managing their flow right once you teach them to be autonomous but uh if you've ever heard peter talk about this um it's outstanding of course we can't get into it at the moment but um i think that i think that that is that is an art um and getting good at that will make your classroom uh and your students love the process um Triangulation of data or mining for data. So like, I'll, I'll show you um, a couple of um, uh, evidence records in a second, but I'm always on the lookout for kids who struggle to do uh, the quizzes or tests or struggle on the board test, whiteboard tests. I'm always mining for data on a daily basis for those kids. So like, there's always like three or four kids in my class. And let's be honest, they just fell through the cracks 15 years ago in my class. Now I'm on the lookout for, for, for mining for data for those kids that I can put in their evidence record, uh, create a culture of learning and thinking. I talk about learning and thinking all the time in my classroom. 
because they're like, oh, you're not helping us. I'm like, I know I'm not helping you. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. Figure it out. Talk to somebody. Get someone, like, find a way. Um, and so this is an evidence record. So, like, you know, um, just, you know, if you look, there's four different strands in this particular course. Uh, the first one's exponential and logarithmic functions. So, like, you know, I have this for each kid. So if I look at this one, I need some evidence on exponential and logarithmic functions for this kid. He's got one piece of data and two of them that were incomplete. Like I need to go find some data for him. And like in the, in the characteristics of functions D2 at the bottom, I have no data for him. So like if that's popping up in my daily activities, I'm going to hunt for data for this particular kid if I can. And of course you can't do that for every kid, every class. You just pick, you pick, uh, you know, four or five kids who, who are struggling or who you're missing data for because they were away or whatever, and you, you hunt for it. Um, sorry, I, again, I'm not, wasn't in the chat there. What this, I'd love to hear more about the types of assessments you use to evaluate. Yeah, so um, I'll talk about that in a second. As a teacher, do you anticipate some prior knowledge of the basic math concepts? I'll say no to that. I mean, you know, there's lots of times where I'll say, okay, I'll get the groups up. I'll say, okay, you know, uh, and I'll put it, an equation on the board or I'll write something down and see what happens. And there are times where there is not a group in the, in the class that can get it started. And so then it's going to be, okay, I need to, um, I need to uh, take a moment here and teach a mini lesson for 10 minutes here. Um, but for sure there are kids that lack basic skills and some that are more fluent. Uh, so I, yes, I am trying to use tasks that have low floor, high ceiling and, you know, I'm encouraging, uh, numeracy. So like if I, you know, if I come over to a board and say, what are you working on? And I see a kid like dumping something into a calculator, like that can easily be done. Um, I'll talk them through that. I'll say, okay, hold on a second. Why are you punching that in your calculator? Like, what's the question? It's 10 times 15. Like, do we need our calculator for that? Um, so I do my best to uh, cultivate moments to work on the, on skills, on, on basic skills. Uh, and like, so here's another evidence record uh, of another kid. I, ha uh, I haven't done A and B yet. So this is just... Um, um, but you can see, so, so there, there's, there's four different things here. There's whiteboard tests, which are in purple and there are assignments, which are the little blue ones. And they're smaller because I don't quite value those as much, but you can see that this kid does okay in those particular situations. And then, um, the orange one was the summative or the end of, end of, um, uh, unit uh, assessment. And then the greens one, green ones were like individual tests, right? So this kid struggles individually, but does okay when he has someone to collaborate with, or she has someone to collaborate with. Um, so, you know, uh, so that that's, this is something I need to get better at, right? I know that this kid's better than they're showing me. So how do I, this is, this is my next step, right? I can tell you that now is where we go from a collective learning to individual learning. Like I got to get better at separating that, right? I do a great job of building culture and thinking in my classroom. My kids love my class. They come, they're at it for 75 minutes a day, but I got to get better at separating the, the, um, the collaboration to an individual. 
Um, whoops, let's go to the next slide. So what are your reflections? So again, um, you know, let's just take a moment uh, and let people give me some, some of your reflections about building thinking classrooms. What are things that you uh, feel like uh, you stress that are more important? Like what, what really has changed your classroom? So again, I'll put, I can put a link to the, um, to a, uh, I am tired. I can put a link to uh, a jam board or you're welcome to just put it in the chat. Oh, can you guys already get into that Jamboard without me uh, putting the link in? All right, so let me just thank you for your reflection. You're welcome, Shelby. Uh, are your individual assignments traditional pen and paper assignments? Uh, I would say no to that, Kupreet. They are uh, very open-ended tasks. So like, uh, let's say I wanted to kids to uh, show me how to do derivatives. I would give them a list of six kind of basic functions and say, okay, um, take the derivatives of these six basic functions and then combine them in many ways to show me that you can, uh, to demonstrate that you know how to do the derivative rules as an example for, for a calculus class. Um, um, so I try to like, let them show some creativity and some depth to their assignment versus like, oh, do these 10 questions. Here's a bunch of stuff. Show me what, show me the con, show me the ideas in the course that we've been talking about through these things. And then I assess what they done. Have I had issues with kids who figure out how to scheme the system? Uh, Jimmy, I'll say yes to that. Of course, we have kids that will try to ride the coattails of others. Um, I'll comment that because we're being mathematicians for 75 minutes a day, though, we all get to know who knows, right? Like they know, right? If you if you start talking to kids about, um, you know, what's going on, they'll tell you like, oh, wow. Uh, so-and-so is really, really good at this stuff. Like, or, um, you know, I'm really struggling with this. Uh, you know, is there, can you give me some questions to try at home? Um, like I do, I do think what, ha like, you know, we have those, we have those problem, we have those problem situations, but I do, I do feel like if you stick at it and stay with it and, 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 and um, are persistent with learning and thinking that, all the kids try their best, right? And they try not to scheme the system. I'll be honest with you. My marks are higher than they've ever been. And I don't think it's because, um, well, we give them multiple opportunities. So like one assessment doesn't kill you. Uh, we give them uh, different opportunities. So, uh, we assess them some, we assess certain things in different ways for different students. Um, yeah, it, it's, um, we, uh, we do our best uh, to have that not happen for sure. Uh, Justin, visible grand, easier to implement. I'm delving into assessment heavily. Yeah, assessment's a tough one. 
Uh, I, 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 I'll always be working on assessment. I don't think there's a right, I don't think there's a perfect way to do it. Um, it's totally tough. Um, what else we got here? Okay, so that's great. So I appreciate my test scores are higher than they have ever been also. Yeah, and I, you know, that, I think that that says something, doesn't it? Uh, how do you, you can do a whole session or just assessment? Yes, I could do a whole session on assessment. For sure I could, Heather. Uh, um, may sound funny, but just wondering how will your students perform in traditional exams such as national and international math competitions? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I have a calculus kid right now that could go past second year university calculus. So like, I think that, I think that, um, I think we, I've given up uh, some kids being good at doing the algorithms for problem solving and thinking. So like they don't ever get, they don't ever really get super good at doing the algorithms, but they, they can do them. They can figure them out, but they don't, um, I've given up, I've given up some of that so that I can see the mathematical processes. Can I explain how I assess in groups? Yes. Uh, so, so Justin, I have, uh, I basically create 10 different tests. Uh, each group gets a test and, uh, on those days I'm not helping them at all. So they, um, and I do those in partners. I don't do this in those in groups of three. So I bring in my, my movable whiteboards and it's groups of two. Um, and it's random. And I, you can, when it's a group of two, it's pretty easy to assess where each of them are at. Um, and I do the best I can to assess them on the fly, uh, in the spot. I do take pictures of their whiteboards cause it's super hard to have 15 groups and get around and watch them all. So I do take, I tell them, I take a picture before they erase it to go on to the next questions. And, you know, again, those tests are different, right? Some of them are like traditional tests and some of them are like open-ended. I mix it up in terms of what types of questions I ask uh, on my, um, on my um, group tests. I think the students become better problem solvers. So they do better on the assessments. I would say that's probably true. Patricia, I agree with that. Um, yeah. And our school, we've had traditionally some really A top A students here. And I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with how we teach. I think they would have been excellent no matter where they were. Have I had parents challenge my group assessment grades? Uh, I have not had a lot of problems with grades because I'm very uh, open um, about their grade. I interview them for their grade. We negotiate it. Um, you know, when you go in and ask a kid what they think their grade is, uh, they're, they're pretty bang on. They're within three to 5%. Like I have not, and I only have to, I, so I'll say this. I only have to like, I, I call it like, you know, docking to the mothership. I only have to do that twice, um, a semester, once halfway and once at the end. Those are the only times we talk about percentage grades. We talk about learning how we could have improved. Like what were you missing? Um, they get their tests back. It's just um, feedback. No, um, no marks on it. Like, oh, you got 72. It's just feedback, feedback, feedback. And they get it back and they go, well, what did I get? I'm like, I don't know. What'd you get? You, you tell me. Like, you've seen enough tests. You've been around. Um, um, sounds like ungrading. It, it is. I'm trying to ungrade for sure. So I'm only doing it. I'm only negotiating a mark with them twice. Once halfway and once at the end. 
Yeah. So yeah. So you know, you it, that, it's and it's not too it's not too bad to do it. You it would typically take me maybe two periods to do that. And on those two periods, I've given them a, an assignment and I'm letting them sit and work on it. So it'd be a super open-ended assignment that they could do. Um, and, you know, of course they're going to, if they don't know how to do it, they're going to be working with other people, but it's just uh, a way to, for them to like uh, demonstrate what they've been getting out of the course so far while I'm um, um, meeting with them. We have four minutes left. You guys have been amazing. Uh, lots of good stuff. Okay. Yeah. So let me just change. I'm going to just go, uh, what are your reflections? What are your next steps? Okay. Um, I think we got to that, but I, I would really like to talk about this slide for two seconds, uh, where you want to be and where you want to, where you want to end up, what you want your course to, what you want your classroom to look like. And I know that this goes against what everybody says, right? Like everybody says, just change one thing this year, change one thing next year, change one thing next year, change one thing the next year. And you know, your, your classroom will change. And I say, and I, I mean this because I did it like here you are now make a massive change, like go for it, go all in. And like, even if you get pulled back down because like it's, things aren't quite working out, it's still going to look so different than what your traditional classroom might look like in the future. So like, I encourage you <laughs> To like you know how like in your if you if you've ever uh, jumped off a cliff, um, you 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 stand there, and um, you uh, you um, it's a little bit frightening. You're like, am I really going to jump off this cliff? And like if you stand there for too long, you end up like it's really hard to jump. Like I think you just got to go and um, um jump in, right? Shake those institutional norms. You got it. So, so, you know, I would encourage you to, to jump in and I, I would also encourage you to find someone in your building who wants to do it with you. Start with one course, maybe, uh, if that's what it is. Um, uh, I will never, well, I'll never, well, I'm so close to the end now I'm almost ready to retire, but I would never go back. Like, and it, when I heard Peter speak about it, I even tweeted out, I said, Oh, well, this is going to keep me busy till the end of my career. Like this is just what I needed. Um, so yeah, I encourage you all to give it a try. Uh, Peter's book is absolutely excellent, as you know. Um, I'm thrilled that I got to start trying it before the book came out, um, and I got to, you know, I was kind of became friends with him and got to hear him speak numerous times um, prior to the book coming out. And uh, I think it's a great resource, and I think it's going to change the way mathematics is taught around the world. Thank you so much, Al, for being with us tonight and thank you so much for the audience for being such an awesome audience um, i do want to remind us that we will have eric malone june 14th and we will learn about the status quo in high school math is unacceptable so that's the topic and eric malone is our speaker where he'll talk to us about why the status quo in high school mathematics is unacceptable we can hang out for one more minute if there's any pressing question. Thanks I'll say again, one more thing. Everyone. Sure, I'll say one more thing. Um, uh, my door is always open. Uh, if you have a group of teachers that want to come, I'm, it's been it sucked during the pandemic, but if you have a group of teachers that want to come and hang out in my classroom for a day and then uh, reflect with me at the end of the day, uh, we have had hundreds and hundreds of teachers come through our school and come through my classroom. Um, I'm not the only person in my building doing it. Uh, 
and um, there's lots to see and, and um, you know, you can get a really good feel for, for what's happening. So if you ever have PD money and you want to visit, um, you are always more than welcome. Thank you so much, everyone. And that brings us to the close of the hour. Thank you, Al. Thank I'll you, Rihanna, for hosting. Touch. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.